I was once an iron soldier And I've been where the eagles call I will tell of a shining city And how she came to fall My name is Henry, and I'd like to welcome you to Fortress on a Hill. My co-hosts and I are a group of leftist American veterans who scour the news headlines looking for stories related to the military and veteran communities of the U.S. But you're not going to hear most of the typical military tropes here. Here we take those same stories and we clear out some of the cobwebs and bullshit. We ask hard questions of our leaders and demand an end to the militarism that has permeated our society. We have a military budget of $750 billion, three times more than China, and seven times more than Russia. While here at home, American infrastructure and domestic policy languish, especially in the era of Donald Trump. However, Big Don is only the latest in a long line of presidential warmongers and bastards. Our country has lost enough to regime change and military operations the world over, Operations that, by and large, only take innocent lives, or providing no real protection from threats to our country. Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Yemen, Somalia, Niger, and the list goes on. It's time for a change. Thank you for being with us. Tom Secker, welcome back to Fortress on a Hill. Thanks for coming to chat with me. Yeah, I mean, thanks for having me back. It's good to be talking to you again, and uh, I'm looking forward to these these films that we were pl- we're planning on discussing tonight. I think there's some good stuff here. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I uh, so f- first we were going to co- talk about uh, Combat Obscura, hmm. and the, the the first thought I had, and and I, I know you don't have any experience with this, but I actually have seen it happen in real life. Is they talk in the first I don't know thirty seconds to a minute about bombing or raiding the wrong building you know this is afghanistan 2011 and they're you know and and this isn't so much you know that they're 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 not marines involved in the bombing they're marines sitting much much further back watching holy fucking shit that was the wrong building and I, I i never had to have experience of raiding the wrong building but i did do security for an operation where they did raid the wrong building and it happens a lot more often than people believe. Part of it is that the we're not as familiar with the way the architecture works there. So where one house stops and another one begins or building stuff, sometimes in the night they can look they look exactly the same and they don't do enough to make sure that guys go to the right building. But yeah, yeah. No, it was you know, it was pitch black. We raided they raided the building and then they got two-thirds to three-quarters done of going through it and they realized it was the wrong one it was the building next door and so they had to go raid that building too um and i i I don't you know that granted it it, there wasn't any commentary to go with the the documentary but i don't think that it properly broadcasts the horror that comes with a group of marines coming in and raiding your building even if they never touch you just the absolute sheer terror of the experience Mm, mm. Well, and I mean, you've got to think as well, this is 
I know what you mean. Most people think this this presumably can't happen that often, whereas it's like, well, it is a war. I mean, war is kind of confusing and chaotic at the best of times. So this stuff must, like you say, it must actually happen fairly regularly. But and also, you know, you hear about this with the police as well, like oh, yes. raiding the wrong block of apartments or the wrong apartment. And they bust in and they arrest everyone and they start going through the place and they realize this isn't the person we were looking for. It, it's just it's kind of mind boggling that that could happen. But then. When you think about the reality on the ground, it's like, well, no wonder, really. And it is a really quite a powerful opening, I think, to the documentary. And like you say, there's no, there's no framing, there's no voiceover. There isn't any real reflection on this. The whole film is just a sort of a, a collage of little vignettes of action, little yeah, bits and yeah. pieces of stuff that happened. And I quite liked that element to it. I found it very intense to watch, to be honest. I found it kind of quite difficult to watch at times, but... Um, I thought it was very effective, very engrossing as a piece of cinema to try and tell the story of these Marines in this war in that way without having lots and lots of interviews and people said, oh, and then this happened and then that happened and there's no reconstructions or any of that stuff. It is just, like I say, a sort of se series of vignettes like that. And that's a very powerful opening, sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I felt the same way. I, even Even for me, someone who in watching their actions in the in the documentary i knew most of the time what was going on but mm -hmm. it still was you know you, you you had no idea when the scene was going to end or how long it was going to be um or and, what was coming next absolutely you know and and um you know like the the scene they had with the where they had they had gotten permission to to shoot a guy because they weren't sure if he was a threat and they shot him and he didn't have any weapon and then there's this discussion about whether or not they're going to make it seem like he had a weapon or whatever but they had permission to shoot him it's that's how rules of engagement work in those you know back and forth situations but um the 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 other opening thought that I had just to give everybody a, 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 a walk to what we're, we're going to be talking about is that a Marine mentioning that you can expect, you, you, you thought you could expect a higher caliber of person in the Marine Corps when in reality the Corps is filled with the most fucked up people you can possibly imagine. And so, you know, like, like you're, you're mentioning about, you know, doing the wrong, the wrong building is that, you know, that there's a lot of assumptions that we walk into about combat if you've never seen combat or have no understanding of it as, as, as you or I do. And, you know, okay, well, oh God, we got to think that the, the rating, the building must only happen a little bit at the time. Well, when you start with the, you know, if a higher caliber person is actually the most fucked up people you can imagine, then the reality on the ground does start to say something that people I would hope would get really upset about. And that was, that was my reaction to watching it was, I went from one moment to the next upset at the, the, the lack of professionalism, the, you know, smoking, smoking hash, which I guess I understand to a certain point you're in fucking combat, but still not a, not a good idea. Um, but it, it moment to moment, like, Oh God, what fucked up thing are they going to do now? Because I know all of it. I know, mm -hmm. you know, the, the stories and the, and the other things, you know, um, the um like for example the guy getting shot through his tattoo there was a point where a guy got a gunshot wound that actually went through a marine corps tattoo he had and i'm immediately thinking mm -hmm. okay he's going to think that that's an omen to be a marine for the rest of his life in one way or another and i'm just like dude you just your dumbass just got shot through your tattoo good you know go go on with your life but that's 
that's that's probably not how it's going to go down. No, no, sure, I know what you mean. It's like if that if that bullet hits him three inches away, it's not an omen of anything. No, so, no. Uh, yeah, interpreting it in that way is kind of a stretch. But then, you know, these are people. As much as some of them, frankly, come across as kind of idiots. Um, I mean, not everyone in this film, but some of the people really do seem like they're kind of young, immature, don't really understand where they are or what they're doing or why they're there or don't seem to have much grasp of the situation that they're in. At the same time, you can think, yeah, but they're also in a quite hellish situation in a lot of this. So therefore, you can see how they adopted that mindset. If they didn't necessarily have it to begin with, some of them will have done, that that's kind of a way of getting through it. I mean, that line that the guy says about, you know, that he, he thought when he signed up that the Marine Corps was going to be full of, you know, the best of the best, and it's actually full of the most fucked up people he's ever met. He did say that when he was pretty high, but nonetheless, it kind of, it rings true from what you see in the rest of the oh, film. Yeah. So, so he's kind of got a point. Um, and yeah, I know what you mean. I, I, I did find some of the film quite amusing. That's one of the things I found odd about watching it, is it veers tonally from kind of horrifying and shocking to absurd and funny to just chaotic and unpredictable and you're never quite sure what reaction it is that you're supposed to have to this and I think that was partly a degree of honesty on the part of the filmmakers that they just wanted to show a kind of fairly rich tapestry of little moments that they'd caught on film without telling you this is what this means and this is how you should feel about that and without all the voiceover and the music and the other things that documentaries use to try and tell you what to how to react yeah um i thought that was quite an honest way of doing it and i i appreciated that but it did make it a weird experience to watch because it's not just a movie about combat it's got a whole bunch of other stuff in there too oh yeah yeah and, and i i i agree with you about the voiceover that i i think that it it really does take something away from certain certain kinds of docs when you're like with this thing that it you wouldn't have noticed a, a tenth of what you did if you had had to been listening to a voiceover telling you what it is that you're supposed to have been noticing. Um, mm. I could I could see I could see them making like one version, you know, make it like a like a commentary on a DVD. Like you can buy it and the normal. The normal movie has no commentary, but then if, after you've watched it once, it'd be like, okay, you can unlock this, and the guy actually talks a little mm -hmm. bit about the things he chose and why he chose them. And um, but it's it, it's uh, the humor in it is absolutely, you know, it, it, that's the only way you can survive. You know, it's kind of. the, I mean, the the, the 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 shitty things that happen. You know, that the the uh, the uh, the PX truck, the truck that would bring us like a a little a little container that you could go and shop in and buy you know Doritos and Mountain Dew and shit. You know that mm. it was supposed to come every six days, and for some reason it hadn't been there for two weeks. And you know, guys, you know, if you're at a at a remote outpost with no uh, vehicles of your own, I assume that these guys were getting their stuff uh, brought in by Humvee, but that it was not. Uh, once the Humvees leave, they're just on their own. It's just a bunch mm. of Marines in these buildings and that they, um, you know, they, they had to wait for a medevac. There was nothing close, close to them that would have given that guy that um, the life support that he needed. Um, sure, sure. 
So, but and yeah, that, I, that I, sense of isolation actually comes through quite well in the film. That yes, it does. It really that does. they're in this sort of you know very dusty rural setting, and they are just kind of like you say, a bunch of guys in some buildings, kind of waiting for the orders to come in, waiting for equipment and food and what have you to come in, and that they're just kind of stuck there. <laughs> there's not an awful. There's presumably not an awful lot to do, which is why you see them doing you know, bad freestyling and stuff like that to try yep. and keep the mental selves entertained and try and actually find something to do in this very surreal experience they must have been having. And it does also, to a certain extent, I guess, explain all, all the dope smoking, which certainly I can understand, you know, in the evening when you haven't got anything else to do, but some of these guys were like, you know, when they're actually out on manoeuvres and what have you. Yeah, yeah. Completely stoned out of their tree. And you think that's that's not a good way to be because if you end up in combat, your you know, your reactions are shot, your decision making is gonna be screwed up. That you don't want to be like that if there's bullets flying around. You really don't. No, no, that is a, a terrifying prospect, but the the amount that I I was stationed with, with Marines when I was on my second tour and the amount of extra work that the Marine Corps will come up with to keep these Marines occupied is, is, is dumbfounding. You know, it, most of the guys that I dealt with, they worked 18, 19 hour days, even in times where combat wasn't something they were dealing with every, every, you know, every given moment. It was even during the quiet times. And so you had these guys that are always running on no sleep. They're just always in a state of perpetual misery. And a lot of that I saw come through in this, you know, that they're the, um, there's no niceties, you know, they don't, they don't, you know, like there were certain places, certain camps I stayed at where we had actual beds to sleep in. These guys would see nothing like that whatsoever. A, a, a folding cot is, is the best that they might have. Um, so it does, it, it, you know, what, what can you do with 24 hours in a day and all these guys with lethal weaponry and you don't want them to take it out on the local villagers? Not that some of them mm -hmm. didn't, because we saw that too. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but it, it, it's, just, it's just dumbfounding how much they make these guys work. And they're already in combat. It's like combat plus seven, you know, it, 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 why do that to people? And I think that, that that whole sense of just dragging yourselves along, trying to get to the end of the tour is something that was really evident, which you wouldn't see in other docs at all. They would make sure that it was a no, no, we, we, we had a good time, Sergeant Major. We saw, we saw you know, we, we followed the rules of engagement and we didn't smoke any hash and uh, we didn't kill any civilians, you know, all that good stuff. We didn't abuse any donkeys. No abusing donkeys, yeah. I mean, that, that scene, for me, kind of sums up... I thought that was a great little microcosm for the War on Terror, is this, like you say, this strung-out Marine who's clearly kind of beyond his stress point, <laughs> um, taking it out on shouting at these kids and abusing this donkey and, and shouting, you know, where's the fucking Taliban? Where's the fucking Taliban? And that's such a great kind of little picture of, of how the war on terror has actually been prosecuted that we don't really know who it is that we're fighting or where to find them or how, in fact, we're supposed to go about finding them. We've just stuck these people out there, mostly young men without much of a clue of what's going on in the world, and expected them to get on with it. And it's like, well, what do you expect to happen? What, well, what you'd expect to happen if you actually stopped and thought about it is exactly what you see in the film. Um, 
that this is almost the inevitable consequences of trying to fight a war that way. Because it's not like there's a army over the hill or something. It's I know that's kind of a, a silly simplification and a bit of a cliche, but you know what I'm saying. It's not yeah, a conventional yeah. war as wars have been fought in the past. It's it's very much this weird postmodern warfare where the enemy could actually be that twelve year old boy, but almost certainly isn't. <laughs> and so you have these like like the sequence with the guy, um the scene where he sat there and he's on the radio to the translator, and he's trying to have this conversation with this young boy via a you know, badly tuned radio with a translator at the other end, trying to figure out whether this kid is talking about a bomb being somewhere or whether the kid just wants a cigarette. Yeah. And you, yeah, come, yeah. you come away from that scene not even knowing what the answer is. No. You're like, no well, did, did the kid walk up and start talking about a bomb? We don't, we don't really know. So it's like, no wonder these guys are sort of going half crazy out there, and no wonder, you know, for the local people, it's just miserable yeah sometimes it was the the locals would use the the one to five or six words of english that they would know and if one of those words happened to be bomb which is mm -hmm. something that our guys would say to them a lot because again we're, we're looking for them are there but we don't we don't do a very good job of explain of finding a way without words to explain what an explosion is and, and how that works but i remember uh um trying to get some villagers away from an IED that we were, we were waiting on the EOD text to come in to blow and blow it in place. And, um, we saw people, you know, that they were, some people were curious, but most people were just doing ordinary of their own stuff way too close to the bomb. And they were probably still far enough away, but, but my buddy and I, I uh, and I got out of our trucks and ran down there and that's what we yelled at them. We, you know, we went, and, and yelled bomb and stuff like that and they knew they knew what we were talking about and most everybody grabbed their kids pulled them back inside and, and closed and locked the doors um but for you know especially like you mentioned you know if it's a kid and they want something they want a pepsi they want some cigarettes they want us to give up something um mm. and there's no, you know, we, we, there's no finality to any of it. There's no, okay, well, this kid wasn't actually talking about a bomb. He was talking about this. That is every day, all day, you know, as far as dealing with people, because there's no, there's no clarity. There's no end, end point of, did we really figure out what the hell was going on with that person? Oh, no, I, I, I still have no idea. I mean, he talked about what I thought was a bomb, but then he talked about something else that sounded like he wanted a butterfinger, and then and and it and it just and and it, and it's it, at parts it's funny, you know, it's it's it, it's almost it, it becomes to that comical point where you have to start laughing because if you don't, you're going to start crying. Um, well, but, and I guess I mean a lot of the time you're getting out of those situations thinking, well, I don't know what the hell that was, and I don't know if that's going to come back to bite us in the ass later. But let's just yeah. be thankful everyone got out of there alive and hopefully that will be that but like you say you've got no real idea no no for all you know you could see that person the next day with a rifle in the hand or whatever so no no the the the, the fluidity of of where people are at any given moment over there is really terrifying and i think that if they had if they had not not specific like the people were terrifying but just the lack of information um <laughs> and if they i wish they had done a better job helping us with some kind of language and cultural skills um, dealing with people over there because we could have figured it out in, in a better way, but we didn't have anything 
like that. You know, and, and these poor bastards were left dealing with an interpreter over the radio, which having an interpreter right next to you under the best of circumstances is still frustrating. So mm -hmm. that at that distance with, you know, not sure if you're understanding words right, and we have different vowel sounds for our words than they do, who knows what you actually get done in a day? Um, well, let alone local dialect, accent, that, that all these other that factors. Too. So yeah. you might you might know the words. You might you might whatever the language is that they're speaking, um, but they're speaking it in an accent that's unfamiliar to you. So you're like, mm -hmm. hang on, did they say this or did they say that? And the translator, that you know, they quite often don't know. They're just doing their best with what what they can try and understand. So, so have you seen the film? Um, Lone Survivor. You seen Lone I, Survivor? I, I haven't actually seen that one yet, no. Um, in any case, there's a scene in that where um, the seals are up on the hill and they've essentially kidnapped these goat herders and they're trying to figure out whether these goat herders are some, you know, whether they're dangerous or whether they're just some random goat herders. And one of the seals is talking into this device that he's been given where he speaks into it in English and then it spits out the Pashto or whatever it is um, translation. But it's okay, so you're trying to talk to people in a foreign language where they're listening to this box in your hand that is, I mean, it's going to be totally unfamiliar to a bunch of rural goat herders in Afghanistan, isn't it? They're not used to walkie-talkies and phones and, you know, listening to a conversation via a, a plastic box. And just the whole thing seems kind of absurd that this was the answer to it. Like you say, they didn't send you guys in with actual language and cultural training. And sooner or later, they twigged, hang on, this is a problem. So what did they do? They subcontracted whoever to develop this piece of technology that doesn't work and is totally useless, even if it did work that well, because the people on the other end just aren't used to communicating like that. So the notion that, you know, that this is, that this is a war that's sort of, you know, going to be over quickly, that's actually going to be sort of prosecuted with some kind of intelligence is just absurd. And that really, really does come across. But... This is a war that, you, you, I mean, how does a war like that ever actually truly end? Yeah. When you don't have people capable of gathering the necessary information from actual people on the ground that they're dealing with day to day. Um, it's like going back to our, I think it was our first conversation, we were talking about the difference between a, a military approach to counterinsurgency and an intelligence approach to counterinsurgency, or just a warfare in general, or, you know, anything. And, and the lack of intelligence and the lack of intelligence being part of this process is so clear in Combat Obscura that most of the time, most of these people don't really know what they're doing, what's going to happen, what they're even trying to accomplish here. They're just, most of them just seem to be sort of trying to get through the day. Um, and I can't particularly blame them for that at all. The guys and I love doing the podcast. Being able to share our experiences in the military with allies and supporters means the world to us. But we can't do all the work. We need you to share an episode of ours with someone. Anyone who you think might be affected by it. Maybe a, a young person looking to join the military or parents advocating for one. Uh, conscientious citizens who care about the violence the U.S. wages in their name. Advocates for women and people of color who understand the harsh environment that the military creates for minorities and inflicts on them around the globe. And anyone else you think it might affect, please take a moment and share this with them. Now, our podcast is supported in a few different ways. First, there's Patreon, where we're very blessed to have an array of wonderful supporters helping the guys and I pay for some of the podcast expenses. 
Those who contribute $10 a month or more will be mentioned here as an honorary producer, helping keep you, our listeners, stocked with new episodes. But you don't have to contribute $10 a month to help us. For as little as a dollar a month, you can keep us going, paying for hosting and storage fees, transcribing old and new episodes, promoting and expanding the podcast, and more I probably can't think of right now. So let's bring out our honorary producers, and they are Matthew Ho, Will Arenz, Gage Counts, Fahim Shirazi, Henry Zamoda, James Higgins, James O'Barr, Adam Bellows, Eric Phillips, Paul Appel, Julie Dupree, and Matt the Virgin Slayer. Your contributions are wonderfully helpful to us. Thank you so much. However, if you'd like to contribute and Patreon isn't your style, you can contribute directly to us through PayPal at paypal.me forward slash Fortress on a Hill. Or check out our store on Spreadshirt. The great Bill Kropinski did a really awesome job making our first shirt, which you can find at shop.spreadshirt.com forward slash Fortress on a Hill. Make sure you check on the site there for promo codes before you order. And now, let's get back to the podcast. No, that is the, the the motto of it being in any combat zone is that I just hope that me and my guys can make it through the day okay and we'll worry about tomorrow tomorrow. Um, mm. But it really does, it... it, it, it um, it gives you a very uncomfortable sense once you've come around to that. Because I my, my first tour, I was a gunner, and I, I wasn't really so much worried about how the sausage was made. But when it came time for my second tour, I was a team leader, and I often led missions. And so it, it you know the 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 lack of information was was very very glaring. And then you know we have. Well, I'm sure people were looking to you for that information, and you didn't. They never gave it to you. So how could you? Have yeah, it? no, and and it was the same for me. You know, I should have. I should have gone home from my first tour and gotten myself a stack of books on uh, Arabic culture and, and learning language in a better way. And because uh, I, I knew I was probably going to be going back, so it wasn't going to be mm. wasted time at all. But, but the thing was, is that the army wasn't going to give me any of that training. If I wanted it, I was going to have to go and find it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, here, here's a question. Shoot. Um, because, uh, I've been discussing this film with a friend of mine recently. He only saw it very recently because I said, you know, I'm going to be on this podcast talking about it. Um, and one of his reactions, he's non-military, he's never been, never been in the military, anything like that, um, was that parts of the film come across almost like a sort of military buddy movie. And he felt that in as much as there was any positive PR for the military and the DOD and the whole war mission and everything else, that it came in those moments that it's still, I don't know, that perhaps it almost trivialized what these people were doing. Um, I mean, it certainly humanizes them. And I was just wondering your take on that, because obviously you've got a different perspective to me and him, because you've actually kind of lived through a lot of this. So, did, I mean, did you feel that at any moments, that it kind of came across as a bit of a, bit too much of a buddy kind of, almost a buddy comedy or something? Uh, no, no, I, uh, for me, I was, I was having a different, a different experience watching it. Sure. Um, but the, 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 what, what I think that, um, 
you and your friend are recognizing is is um i don't know if there's an actual name for the phenomenon but the the looking looking outside in at you know doctors and surgeons laughing about a patient or police officers yeah. you know that they're they're so, some of it is about professionalism but some of it is just about making it through the day and mm -hmm. so um but i could i i i I do get the point you're making, though, that it, it for for the uninitiated, that it really could seem like these guys just don't give a shit. That they're just it's just not a it, you know what what's happening around them isn't important. And and what what we're really seeing is we're seeing their best efforts at trying to keep it together in whatever mm -hmm. way that they they happen to you know and and um, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's just something he brought up, and I kind of thought I'd pose it to you. No, no, I appreciate I appreciate the question, and it and it is you know it's it's something I I dealt with doubly so in the army because I was an MP, so I I had a mission back here at home doing law enforcement duties, and then over there I was training the Iraqi police. And the 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 thing about it was is that you did you did start to see this decline, though. You would see people, you know, that the the amount of effort they were willing to put in was slowly less and less and less. And unless mm. you started, you know, yelling and, and uh, throwing, throwing rank around a little bit, things weren't happening. But the, but the flip side of that is what was I supposed to tell them? That this mission mm. was going to be more successful than the last one, which wasn't successful at all. You know, it, and, and, and again, we rotate out every so often. You know, Marines go for seven, eight, nine-month uh deployments sometimes a little bit longer and in the army you're there for 12 months and so whatever contacts whatever rapport you've built up it's gone the moment that the new unit arrives and it, it, it's made much harder by the fact that you're in a society where those kind of things really matter you know how you show up how your your decorum on things is very important at, le at least in, in in iraqi society um you know if somebody comes to your home you were to welcome them in and and help them, you know, feed them if you can. You know, it's 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 not something that we in in Western society we would find it kind of weird, but that's that's how they do things. But we don't put that much time into it. You know, there's not enough time. For example, not showing Iraqis the bottoms of your feet. It's a very very disrespectful cultural thing for them there that they just you don't do it. Um, sure, sure. There's a big thing on feet and shoes, isn't there? Yes, yes. Yeah. You know, and which, of course, reminds me of that one Iraqi guy throwing his shoe at <laughs> at uh, W that one time, which, of course, yeah, yeah. Kno knowing the insult that he intended, that's fucking funny. Yeah, yeah. And a cool thing to have done. <laughs> Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But it's not like you fired a gun at him; he threw some shoes at him. <laughs> I know, yeah, exactly, exactly. I I didn't know him. W could move that fast. Um, I don't think he did. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think he did either. Um, but yeah, a, a uh, it's a it's 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 hard because you know imagine having thirty. 30 soldiers who are all on very different wavelengths about why we're in Iraq and what we're supposed to be doing. And, and a lot of the conflict that we deal with over there is that, you know, okay, I want you guys mm -hmm. to go out and go on this mission. Well, Sergeant, we went on that mission yesterday and this and this happened. And what I'm telling you is that us going today is worthless. There's nothing we, we can do there. So either they find a different mission for us or for, or for whatever reason, we don't go that way. But as you move further up the echelon in rank, you have people that want answers. And they want answers more than they want to hear you make sense of what's actually happening 
and how to actually do it better. Um, no, sure. I mean, for one thing, they want something that they can then take to their superiors yeah, and ultimately yeah. to the political leaders. When you get up that high, you're dealing with politicians and they're the ones saying, well, what, what, is, what about this? Why haven't we done that? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, that's because you're a politician in an office, <laughs> not, not yeah, a soldier exactly. in combat. <laughs> so, yeah. So I had one last note that I wanted to, sure. I wanted to mention about the, about the show and it was, uh, about a memorial service they were having for a, a fallen Marine and the chaplain discussing how this man, this Marine's life was worth infinitely more because he was a Marine killed in a war that because he, he fought and died for his country as a United States Marine, that his, his soul, his, his, his essence was now, was now worth more in some way. And it, 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 just goes to the opposite spectrum of what we're talking about you know that they they want these want guys like this to feel like they're indestructible and so it's it's um and and noticing that in the notes for born on the fourth of july too you know is that they want they want mm -hmm. if if a if a marine's in a competition he wins if he does this thing he does the, the a very specific right thing you know so the 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 cursing the smoking hash the um you know not being in full gear you know, you like if you, any guy that you saw in the documentary who didn't have his helmet on, mm -hmm. understand there was probably an NCO hunting for him, wanting to scream at him about not wearing his helmet or his gloves or his eye protection or all these different uniform things. And and they're all good things. They're designed to keep people from you know getting a eyeful of shrapnel when an mm -hmm. IED goes off. But those are the kind of things that when a, a commander or a SAR major shows up to talk to these guys that those are the kind of things they're looking for. You know, it's not that it's not that they've been in continuous combat for 96 hours or whatever. They've all been pinned down in there and all, oh, but they didn't shave. Uh, they didn't shave. They're bad Marines. They're bad Marines. doesn't matter that all their guys are alive or that they were able to, whatever tactical victory they may have had or may be able to show, if they're not doing that bare minimum, the rest of it doesn't fucking matter. Um... And so this 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 chaplain thing, you know, it, it, um, you know, I can't imagine being told in a in a memorial service that a a soldier was, you know, it, I mean, it's it's not that we weren't weren't there, you know, saying good things about our fallen comrade or anything, but that of course, of course, his, but that his life was worth more because he was a marine killed killed in a war, and and I, I immediately go to all the different, you know nasty ways that I've read about people dying in combat and you know there was a SAR major who recently died in Afghanistan who was on his 10th deployment um and oh, and yeah. so, and so it's 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 really really hard to swallow hearing some bullshit like that yeah yeah it, it's also I mean I I felt um at that moment in the documentary it was almost like uh, they weren't just saying that his life was somehow worth more or even like you say, his soul, but specifically his death. Yeah. That this was a kind of almost a sacrificial ritualistic thing. Mm -hmm. Like this is a, a noble rite of passage is, is to die in combat. And it's like, I'm not saying there isn't something noble about, I mean, certainly there's something noble about dying in combat if you're dying to protect someone else, of sure. course, and things like that. Uh, um, it, it's more just like almost the inherent thing. that It doesn't actually yeah. matter how he died or yeah. why he died. 
or what the circumstances were or any of that. Simply the fact that he was a Marine who died in combat means that he gets this additional exalted status. And it's like sometimes surely there is no glory in the way some people die in combat. It's just horrible. Yeah. And that's the end of it. There isn't, I mean, you can say nice things about them. You can you eulogize them and, and all the rest of it, but that doesn't make their death somehow a good thing. No. Um, and that's what seemed to be the, the subtext of, of that moment and what they were trying to convince these guys of. It's, oh, if it's you who dies, we'll be saying all of this about you. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that's, but that sort of implies that they should be being somewhat even reckless towards their own deaths or even want their own deaths. I mean that's that's screwed up. Yeah. That's that's not a good thing to be adding to these people who are already in a very stressful situation and some of them have kind of been pushed beyond their breaking point and are just trying to hold on until they can get home. It's not good to try and add this strange sacrificial element to it as well because then they're just going to sort of end up in an even worse state. Yeah, yeah, I mean that moment. I mean it rings true though, doesn't it? This is the sort of thing that people say. Um, oh no! It, it, that part of it absolutely rings true, and um, I guess it, I I did not I did not uh, being an MP I did not have that kind of uh, blind nobility that kind of glossed over things for us. You know, it was no no one no one was talking about you know uh, someone being worth more because they were a soldier killed in combat we were talking about how much they were were worth worth you know missing them as a person enjoying mm. their company how hard they worked as a soldier um you know the circumstances around their death you know whether or not they protected people and and and, and did their job in, until the end but just to like you say to just a, a checkbox that marine died here worth more um mm. it, it it's really it's really disturbing to me um and I, and and like you said, I, I I think that that is you know how they how they keep the machine going you know for if 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 that seems like a a reasonable choice to make, I don't think that it is. But I guess I can I can understand it from their from that perspective, you know. Well, from their perspective, I can see it. Sure. Um... I'm just saying, you know, for the people who are actually, for the guys who are actually on the ground, I'm not sure that's a good thing to be throwing at them. I can understand no. what, what it is they're trying to achieve, that they're, they're trying to give them that kind of psychological boost that comes with some sense of a uh, religious quest or a, a noble quest or something that they're, you know, they're part of this much greater, bigger thing that is, you know, good and that that's what's important. And that's how they're trying to keep these guys going. But I think in reality, what you're actually doing is adding to the pressure on the shoulders of these people who are already in a pretty terrible situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, Tom, did you have any specific uh, notes from the DoD stuff that you wanted to throw out about this? Uh, on Combat Obscura? Yeah. Um, no, no, I mean, they still haven't gone back to my FOIA request on this. Jerks. Yeah. I mean, they told me we first discussed talking about this film maybe six, eight weeks ago or something. Yeah. Um, so. And at that point they were saying, oh yeah, we'll definitely have some stuff for you next week. And then they said, oh no, 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 a whole, whole bunch of more stuff has arrived. So now we've got to review all of that before we, we release anything. Ah. And I was like, well, can't you just release the stuff you've already reviewed? Oh no, no, we've got to wait till the whole... Anyway, when, whenever it comes in, maybe we can come back and revisit this. But 
<laughs> right now they haven't released any of the documents to me. I tried to get because as we as we know, I mean this this film was produced by Marine Corps combat photographers, combat cameramen. Um and the Marine Corps did sort of try to block it. They tried to stop this film from being released. So I was trying to pry into that a bit more and actually get some records on what they thought of this film and what, what they were up to with all of that. And just so far, yeah, I'm still waiting. It will come, I hope, at some point. <laughs> no, I, I, I love the... I, I guess that would be the only written caption I remember in the whole documentary was that, you know, they talked about combat camera and that we you know we film what they tell us to film and then we keep filming and i wish i wish <laughs> i wish that i would have seen my own use of a camera overseas in that same way is that you know even even if it doesn't make sense now that the the, the record of it will be something that's worth much more worthwhile later on um mm. but yeah, I uh, I was rereading an article from The Intercept this morning where they interviewed the guy who did the, the documentary. Yeah. And hold on, I lost my train of thought. They made it they made it seem like that the because he's you know that that combat camera guys are usually in the background, you know, that that the Marines have bigger fish to fry. So they don't have time to be worrying about who's filming what and why. And, um, and again, because that's the person's job, the fact that he's got a camera in his hands all the time means that other Marines are going to leave him alone and he'll actually get to observe some of this stuff. Hmm. Um, but, the, but as far as a, you know, a, a raw portrayal of, of what, it was, what it was like specifically for those guys in Afghanistan... I, I can't think of a better thing that I've seen as far as just showing that to you. Yeah, there's a lot of discomfort with watching it, but it's... Um, it no, lets, I don't think I've seen understand. anything out of Afghanistan, um, certainly. There was one um, documentary I remember. I can't remember the title of it, unfortunately. I'll, I'll have to look it up and maybe we can stick it in the show notes. But um, it was where a, a BBC reporter and cameraman after his sort of official BBC tour of Iraq had finished, he just spent several months traveling around with a camera in his hand, interviewing locals, interviewing soldiers, interviewing, you know, anyone and just sort of watching things unfold and trying to record them. Nice. And that has a very, very similar feel to it. It's a similar kind of documentary. And like this one, I think probably portrays a, a very accurate picture because it's not a sort of devastatingly bad image of, of what's going on there it's not like they set out in either of these films i'm talking about it's not like they set out to make the dod look bad or make the marine no, corps look no, no. bad they just wanted to say let's take an honest unvarnished look at this let's show the people the stuff that they would never see on the you know the show reels that the dod puts up on its website because like you say i mean you've got these cameramen all over the place and i think they probably just didn't anticipate that someone could do this it probably just never occurred to them, hang on, what happens if these cameramen take some of this footage home with them <laughs> and decide to turn it into a documentary? That, you know, there might be a whole bunch of stuff out there that people have just never seen before because they never get to see this stuff. Um, and I remember, you know, back in the mid-2000s, I watched quite a lot of miscellaneous combat footage and what have you from Iraq on LiveLeak, 
the video hosting website that has almost no filters and censorship, which mm. is a bit of a problem. But at the same time, it does also mean you can find stuff on there that you won't find anywhere else. Yeah. And, and again, this Combat Obscura very much reminded me of that because I think a lot of that was just either combat cameramen or just, you know, soldiers who happened to have a, a phone or a camera or something with them and, and filmed some of what was going on around them. And it really does give you, it's the contrast between that and the glossy, carefully prepared versions that you get on websites and on the news and what have you is, is astounding. And that's, I think, probably the greatest value of this documentary is to just, is to not only show you, you know, a picture of life for these particular Marines in Afghanistan, but to highlight just how little you actually get shown through the official channels and just how much more there is to this story. Um, I think that's probably the thing that the film does. That's its service, if you like. That's its, its uh, what it offers to people and why I recommend it to people so much. Because it really does highlight just how much you haven't seen. It does. It does. It's uh, and the and the the discomfort of of just having to write it out that you don't you know no one's explaining that this is what's happening. This is what will happen next or might happen next. Um, you just have to let it play, and mm. what what happens is what happens. And I, I you know narrative is comforting, and so taking that sure. away really. Uh, it, it, I think it really presents something that, like you said, you, that you, you'd never find on any Marine Corps poster, or hear from any recruiter, or hear in any news article at all. You would, you would not hear those kind of things. There's, uh, um, I follow a couple different journalists on Twitter who are, who are former Marines, and this, this, is, this, this is their bread and butter as far as this, is that the, you guys have no idea how insane it is. It's mm. just, it's, but, but, the the thing for me is that when people when people decide that they're going to be okay with a military operation of some kind and i don't know about you know be okay with it they don't really get much of a choice in it but as far as reading the news and just and determining for themselves about it that if you're going to send marines someplace this shit is going to happen and not specifically marines i mean it, it it's young people with firearms and other shit but but you know what i mean is that it is yeah. that you're, there's not going to be an amount of training or such that's going to get that out of guys. You have to understand that this is what really happens. You know, like you said, the, this guy didn't set out to create this really, really nasty documentary showing the worst of the Marine Corps. He wanted the unfiltered Marine Corps. And hmm. knowing that, knowing that people need to look at that, you take that filter and it's like, okay, so we want to send Marines to this place. Well, if we send them to this place, yes, they might be fighting and, sh and shooting and doing all these other things, but they're also going to be possibly smoking hash, possibly learning to, like you said, learning to freestyle. You know, that there may be a whole bunch of other stuff. And with how much that they let go of control in that way, are you really comfortable with sending these people to do what you think they might be able to do? Hmm. No, really, really poses that kind of question. And that's, I mean, on, honestly, I think for anyone who hasn't seen it, who's listening, um, you will learn more about the war in Afghanistan by watching this hour and 10 minute documentary than you will by watching a lifetime of television news. Yep. Um, that's, that's the best, if you like, that's the, the best and biggest reason why people should see this. I agree. Couldn't agree more, Tom.
We're on Twitter at Fortress on a Hill and also at Facebook.com at Fortress on a Hill. You can find our main blog page and our full collection of episodes at www.fortressonahill.com. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Patreon, Spotify. You name it, almost anywhere you listen, we're already waiting for you. And hey, we're always in the market for more Patreon supporters. Please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com. And if you're not into giving us a monthly payment, think about giving us a couple bucks on PayPal. The link is in the show notes. Skepticism is one's best armor. Never forget it. We'll see you next time. You good people And listen to my song I hope you'll pay attention I will not